0: Good morning everybody. uh, I think we got the microphones on and working. Please let us know uh, if you can't hear something and uh, I might miss something or we might miss something. It's about 30 seconds behind so if you make a comment to us give us enough time to make the adjustments and go from there. Uh, First of all we welcome you this morning to Thornville Baptist Church, uh, our worship service such as it is broadcasting from our pastor's home and uh (coughs) not many announcements other than the fact that this is going to be the norm for the foreseeable future. And uh, also, uh, for our congregation, don't forget to uh, sign in for our prayer meeting services. We're also able to call you and to do a conference call. So if the technology seems to be daunting to you, there are other ways to communicate and be a part of your church. Uh, Don't forget also to send your tithe to Starla directly. And I think that's all the announcements I have.
1: They can send their ties to, s- to Clara May, and then
0: Starla takes them up to the church. We've, we've already switched that. It has to be through Starla. Okay. They're not going down there. Just Starla. Okay, um, our scripture for meditation is John 12, 37 through 43. If you happen to have a pew Bible, it's 1672. Again, John chapter 12, verses 37 through 43. Okay, let's open our service with prayer. Father in heaven, we are thankful for this beautiful morning that you've given to us amidst the chaos that's out there in the world today. uh, And there are people who are dying today who will meet you for the first time and not have known you were there. We thank you, Lord, for the peace and the serenity that comes with a beautiful morning. And for the fact, Lord, that you uh, do these things for us that we may also appreciate and give you glory for them. I pray, Lord, that you will bless us today. Although we are separated physically and geographically, I pray that we are united in heart and spirit. Lord, I pray that you would be with those that are sick uh, from this virus all over the world. uh, That, again, Lord, in the midst of judgment, that you would remember mercy and grace. And for these people who are suffering that are both your people and not your people, Lord, I pray that you would ease their suffering and that you will protect our church and our families and our extended families from this virus. I pray for uh, our services today, that our minds would be focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. amid No matter what's going on in the world, Lord, he still rules and reigns, and he is still worthy of all glory and honor due him. So we pray, Lord, that he would be our focus, and that all that is done today uh, would be honoring to the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask this in his precious name and for his glory. Amen. <coughs>
2: Her first time this morning is, My Faith Looks Up To Thee.
3: Mm. My, My faith, faith looks up to thee. Has died for me. Oh, may my love to thee, your warm and changeless be a living fire, while life's dark may. Turn today, wipe sorrows, tears away.
0: scripture reading uh, this morning is Hebrews 10, uh, verse 32 through 11, verse 2. Again, Hebrews 10, uh, verse 32 through chapter 11, verse 2. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. May God add his blessing to the reading of our word today, or his word today.
2: Our next hymn is, um, I Am Trusting Thee, Lord Jesus. Hopefully you were able to download <coughs> these um, this morning or last night. Again, we are sending these all out for you to, to hopefully be able to join us in singing, even though there's a, a little bit of delay. Um, God hears our, our praises. I Am Trusting Thee, Lord Jesus. trusting the True.
1: Last Lord's Day, we consider the deposits God has to make in our account if we are to trust Him with our life. The principle being that there's no drawing out what is not first put in. So in the spiritual realm, since we're dead to God in our hearts, there's nothing there that would be ever solicit us to stop placing our faith in our abilities and to start trusting God for our salvation and for everything else. No person acts beyond their belief system. Thinking has to be changed before actions can be changed. And the man or woman of the world has wrong thinking when it comes to God. Paul writes in Romans, For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. Romans 1, verse 21 and 22. Add to this the truth that people love their sin and are predisposed not to relinquish it, and there's no way they will willingly give it up. Jeremiah writes it this way. This is what the Lord says about this people. They greatly love to wander. They do not restrain their feet. So the Lord does not accept them. He will now remember their wickedness and punish them for their sins. Jeremiah 14, verse 10. So you see, with such deadness towards God and such love for all that is against God, God has to take it upon Himself to deposit repentance, that is, deaf to self, and life, Holy Spirit enabling power, in order for people to cease being the enemy of God and to come to faith in Him as His disciple. God moves, and then we move in response. God first loves us, says John, and then we love Him back. He deposits the spiritual graces needed to respond aright to Him as Lord and Savior, and then we exercise those graces as gifted stewards of His grace. Well, today's study begins to define for us what faith in God consists and how it expresses itself. We're going to talk today about confident faith confident faith the first thing we want to note is that all all believers begin with no faith yes you heard that right all believers begin with no faith consider the fact that all of your life you have trusted in your own judgment or in the advice of friends or in the things you learned in school from various teachers Or maybe in the school of hard knocks as you experience life in all its various facets. You have always leaned on your own human wisdom, on others or in yourself to function in life. Education was your watchword. It was your cure-all. It still is for most people. If you didn't know something, you went to where you could obtain knowledge. You went to the library, you went to the internet, you went to a trusted friend or a knowledgeable colleague, to anyone and everyone except except to God Himself. Even if you wanted to learn something about God, you trusted that somehow you could study the Bible on your own or listen to a lecture from a theologian on the History or Discovery Channel or to a sermon by a television preacher. In other words, you you could talk to friends and try to discover how they did on their spiritual journey. You could take a course on comparative religions if you were more energetic from the University of Michigan. Yet, all of these sources spell out only one thing, a reliance upon your own intellect and wisdom to sort through the facts and arrive at correct conclusions. In other words, you trusted you. You became the final authority in convincing yourself that you knew God and how He works, what He approves, how to influence Him on your behalf, etc., etc. You became your own final accreditation for life and living. That said, you never discovered the God of the Bible this way. What you did is what we all do apart from God's work in us. Paul writes, They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever to be praised. Amen. Romans 1 verse 25. And if you think idolatry is confined to sculptures of wood or stone or precious metals, God says, When any Israelite or any alien living in Israel separates himself from me and sets up idols in his heart and puts a wicked stumbling block before his face and then goes to a prophet to inquire of me, I, the Lord, will answer him myself. I will set my face against that man and make him an example and a byword. I will cut him off from my people, and then you will know that I am the Lord. Ezekiel 14, verse 7 and 8. Idols of the heart. That's an interesting way that Ezekiel puts it. Idols of the heart can be anything, from a lust for power to the vanity of physical beauty to wanting to get wealthy, Whatever. No one ever finds God by their own knowledge and wisdom. Yet this is the only way we know how to live our lives before grace does its work in us. Paul writes it this way, For since the world through its wisdom did not know Him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs. The Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Stumbling block to Jews. Foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. All of that from 1 Corinthians 1, verse 21 through 24. Very interesting text. That that's how we come to know God. The Jews thought that they could discern God's presence among them by analyzing miracles. Miracles come from God, right? So to prove that a person was from God, thinking of the apostles here, the Jews demanded to see miracles. But you know, miracle seekers do not find God by witnessing miracles. Matthew writes of Jesus' ministry. Let me read it for you. Then Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of His miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Matthew 11, verse 20. And by the way, in that text, He lists those cities. Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum. So, where Christ performed His most miracles didn't change anybody's heart at all. Again, It says, if I had not done among them what no other person did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen these miracles, and yet, and yet, they have hated both me and my Father. John 15, verse 24. You see what he's saying. Miracles appeal to the flesh because, well, they mystify. They make people wonder, wow, you know, what's going on? But there's no salvation in them because people concentrate on the deed, the miracle, not the doer. People love miracles for their own sake, not for the God behind those miracles. On the other side, we have the Greek types, the intellectuals. They say, forget the miracles, forget the anecdotal testimonies. I want hard scientific facts. If God exists, I should be able to discern his presence and his performance empirically. Let's be rational about this. Faith is irrational. Just give me the facts and I will figure it out. God says, however, the world through its wisdom did not know him. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 21. And in the next chapter, did not know him becomes cannot know him. Verse 14, the man without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God for they are foolishness to him and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And of course, the man of the world doesn't have the spirit to discern anything. So we observe here that there is no ability in the wisdom of man to bridge the gap from ignorance of God to knowledge of God, no matter how many degrees in philosophy or theology a person may have attached to their name. God is not discovered that way. God is discovered by faith, but the intellectual only has faith in himself or in reason, but not in God well if this were not bad enough Paul quotes God saying for it is written I will destroy the wisdom of the wise the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate where is the wise man where is the scholar where is the philosopher of this age has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 19 and 20. Now that tells me that not only is there a natural and insurmountable barrier for unbelievers to find God through their intellect, but God has actually pledged Himself that no one, so so no one, no how, is going to find Him that way. So Paul, a servant of God, told the Corinthian assembly, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 1 Corinthians 1. Verse 17 and 18. People of faith are finding God and being saved while the intellectuals and the miracle seekers are perishing. And as we learned last week, faith and repentance as well are both gifts from God to His people. Thus Paul can say, For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, And the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. It is because of Him that you are in Christ Jesus. Who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts boast in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 25 and following. Now, all of us begin our search for God with no faith, yet try as we may, finding all god always eludes us until faith comes paul wrote it this way faith comes i'm reading scripture here faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word of christ romans 10 verse 17. it's not a it's not a waste of time for unbelievers to expose themselves to the preached word of Christ because in the hearing of the gospel, God sends faith upon his chosen people. That's the way it comes. There is no substitute for gospel preaching if people are to be granted saving faith as God's deposit. It comes through the preaching of the word of God. That's why we encourage unbelievers to come into worship services and to hear the gospel message that we're preaching to our own people as well as to any who will give a hearing to it. Secondly, we need to understand that initial faith is little faith and it is weak faith. Initial faith is little faith and it's weak Have you ever heard people say to you, well, I wish I had your faith, or my faith isn't as strong as yours? Well, I would suggest to you that here again, people are thinking that the faith that saves is of their own doing, and that in order for faith to save, a person must possess a certain amount of faith. And that faith must be mm, strong faith. But, brethren, it isn't the quantity of faith that saves, nor the strength of faith, but the object of the faith, who is Jesus Christ. We read in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30, that it is Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness holiness, and redemption. This was Paul's message. He said, We preach Christ crucified, stumbling block to Jews, foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 23 and 24. The object of faith is more important than the amount of faith or its strength. You know, one day the disciples were having a discussion with Jesus on the subject of forgiveness. And Jesus had just told them that if a brother sinned against them seven times in one day and came back each time and said, I repent, they were under obligation to forgive him. And Luke tells us in his gospel, the apostles said to the Lord, Oh, increase our faith. Luke 17, verse 5. You see how they were thinking here. A sinning brother who comes back to you seven times in one day to ask you forgiveness cannot be very sincere. (laughs) That being so, they were struggling with the seeming impossibility of granting forgiveness. Unless, perchance, God would increase their faith. They were saying to Jesus, Well, (laughs) we have some faith, but Lord, what you are asking of us is going to require a whole lot more faith. Well, what did Jesus do? Well, he responded in two ways. Number one, he corrected their misconception about faith, saying this, If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. Luke 17 verse 5 and 6. Now they were thinking, we need a lot of faith to accomplish what the Lord has told us to do. And Jesus was saying, oh no you don't. Even a mustard seed quantity, you know, a little mustard seed? Even a mustard seed quantity of faith can uproot and relocate trees by your command. How so? Because of the God in whom you are placing your faith. They were slipping back into their old reliance upon self. Forgiveness seven times in one day for the same infraction by the same brother seemed impossible because no one in their own strength could be so magnanimous towards willful sin. He can't be very sincere if he's coming back to me and doing the same sin seven times over. Who can forgive like that? Well, little faith can do much. That's the first thing Jesus does to answer them. The second response of Jesus is one we often ignore. He said, Suppose one of you had a serpent plowing or looking after the sheep. Would he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, Come along now, sit down to eat. Would he not rather say, Prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me while I eat and drink, and after that you may eat and drink. Would he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, you should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Luke 17, verse 7 and following. Now, what is the point of this story that Jesus told to his disciples? Well, the disciples thought of Jesus' command to forgive an erring brother seven times in a day for repeated infractions. They were thinking of that as being, Whoa, way. that's way too hard to do, Lord. Way too hard. You have to give us more faith if you want us to do something like that. And Jesus answered that even little faith can do great things. But, how, but now he adds that little, oh, faith, oh, little faith obeys even the seemingly impossible hard services that God requires. Little faith is strong enough to respond. When you're tired and hungry and soar from a full day's work in the fields. The master's interest supersedes your own. And in the end you can say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Nothing is too hard even for weak faith to do because faith loves the master and is able to do his will. Even weak faith keeps its focus on Christ. Remember the parable of the talents we studied the other week? Same thing. Thirdly, faith can and must grow and mature. So you do have weak faith. You're going to stay there all your life? No, it can and it must grow. On five separate occasions, Jesus chided his disciples for what he called little faith. Let me go through them for you. For worrying about food and clothing, Matthew 6, verse 30, when they were thinking of those things. For being terrified at the raging storm when Jesus was asleep in the same boat with them, Matthew 8, verse 26. Of Peter, when he began to walk on the water to meet Christ, but he took his eyes off Jesus, Mark 14, verse 31 for their misunderstanding of Jesus' reference to yeast being that of the Pharisee leaders. But they were thinking of literal bread. Matthew 16, verse 8. And finally, number 5. When the disciples were unable to expel the evil spirit from the demoniac and they wondered why, they couldn't do it. Matthew 17, verse 20. Because Jesus labeled these disciples as men of little faith did not mean that they had no faith by this time in their life. What is more, as we've just studied, the little faith they had would not have failed them had they not taken their eyes off of Christ. Vividly portrayed in Peter beginning to sink in the sea as he walked to meet Christ. Little faith is only ineffective when it is redirected to self. Where am I going to get my next meal? How will I stay warm in this cold winter? This storm is going to sink our boat. We have to do something. Oh, you of little faith. I mean, is not Jesus asleep in the hold of that very same ship? Doesn't he care that we're perishing? They thought. So Jesus is chiding us for not packing a lunch today for our journey. That was at the feeding of the 5,000. No. Little faith, little faith. They missed it again and again and again. But having said that, we should also observe that these men grew, they matured in every area of their earlier failures. They grew up in their faith. What about faith for food and clothing? Earthly necessities. Let me read it for you. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions were his own. But they shared everything they had with great power. The apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus... And much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them. For from time to time those who owned land or houses sold them. Brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles feet. And that money was distributed to anyone as he had need. Acts 4 verse 32 and following. So when it came to need they had faith. And faiths and God supplied their need. What about faith when terrified by dangerous situations? Think again of the storm. Or Peter's imprisonment after the beheading of James, a fate that Herod had in mind for Peter too. We read the night before Herod was to bring him to trial. Peter, <laughs> listen to this, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Acts 12, verse 6. Who can sleep peacefully the night before their execution? Yet this was Peter. What about faith to do the miraculous, the impossible? Peter walking on the water. On the preaching tour of Matthew 10, Luke 17, both speak of this. It says, Jesus instructed them, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Matthew 10 verse 8. And When they reported back, they said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Luke 10 verse 17. They were learning that faith, that trust in Christ, enabled them to do the impossible. Even their discernment level of the yeast of the Pharisees and the leaders increased. Faith allowed them to see through the strategies of these evil men, and they became bold for Christ. When Peter and John, and later all the apostles, were arrested, and brought before the Jewish Sanhedrin because they refused to stop preaching the gospel, the chief priest said, We gave you strict orders not to teach in his name. That is the name of Jesus. Acts 5 verse 28. What was their response? Peter said, Peter along with the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. And when they heard this, they were furious and they wanted to put the apostles to death. Acts 15, verse 29 and following. But a Pharisee on this occasion, named Gamaliel, interceded. And in the end, the apostles were flogged very badly and released with another warning. Not to speak in the name of Jesus. Verse 40, Acts 5. However, two verses later, what do we read? Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Acts 5, verse 42. What is all this? I'll tell you what it is. It is mature, grown-up faith. It is victorious faith. It is the faith that has finally captured the right vision. It is faith that has found its focus on Christ. Which the Apostle says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and then he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews 12, verse 2. And may I say that the seated Christ at the right hand of the throne of God is the conquering Christ. He is the kingly Christ who reigns and rules over nations and dominions. That is where our faith must focus. When we trust in him, faith grows up. It is perfected by the one who gave it, the author who wrote that faith on our hearts. Now, faith can do extraordinary things. Let me read some of this from our text. It's Hebrews 10, verse 32 and following it says there remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you stood your ground in great contest in the face of suffering sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution at other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated you sympathize with those in prison joyfully accepting the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourself had a better and lasting possession. So, do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what He has promised. For in just a very little while, He who is coming will come. And will not delay, but my righteous one will live by faith, and if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back, and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for, and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed by God's command so that what is seen is not made out of what was visible. So faith looks beyond the just externals of things to the God behind that faith. Secondly, faith to do extraordinary things is a result of what we just read. Standing for Christ amidst severe trial, I would say, firstly, in personal and public suffering, in the, in the midst of insult and persecution. It has always been the case that the world will not leave us Christians live in peace. They preach toleration for all while practicing intolerance. What they mean is that we believers are to tolerate their sinful lies, adultery, drunkenness, greed, blasphemy of our God, the lifestyle of striving for goodness, godliness, and obedience to God's moral law. That's what they want. It's a one-way street And for all that, do not comply. There is ridicule and persecution. They want you to tolerate their behavior, but they do not want to tolerate our godly behavior. Peter put it this way. The time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality and passions and drunkenness and orgies and drinking parties and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, They are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. And they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. 1 Peter 4, verse 3. There are consequences to men and women who live their lives by faith in the Son of God. And the world is a hostile place for faithful Christians. It's a hostile place. They don't love us. However, Jesus taught that we are a blessed lot when this happens. Let me read it for you. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice, be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Matthew 5, verse 10 and following. So we are called to realize that as our faith is in Christ... Our trials are because of Christ. They say all kinds of evil, Jesus says, against you because of me. When this happens, it means that you're doing something right. He says, because of righteousness. Jesus says, we are living in the company of the prophets, those who declared boldly the truth of God and suffered for it. There's no more noble cause than that. Think of Jeremiah. Just pick on one prophet here. He was deprived of food and water and thrown into a dry well. Can you imagine that? They deprived him of food, gave him no water, and threw him in, threw him in a pit. The king of Israel was trying to form an alliance with King Jehoshaphat but Jehoshaphat inquired if there were a prophet of God available. The king of Israel answered Jehoshaphat, Well, there is still one man through whom we can inquire of the Lord, but I hate him because he never prophesizes anything good about me, but always bad. He is Micaiah son of Imlah. 1 Kings 22, verse 8. Well, Micaiah was summoned, and sure enough... He prophesied that the king, along with Israel, would be sorely defeated on the battlefield if they took the counsel of the lying prophets. And for that, one of the king's servants slapped a Micaiah in the face and the king ordered, Put him, this fellow, in prison and give him nothing but bread and water until I return safely. 1 Kings 22, verse 27. And as they scurried Micaiah off to prison, he was heard to say to the king, If you ever return safely, the Lord has not spoken through me. And then he added, Mark my words, all you people. First Kings 22, verse 28. The world calls that insolence. God calls it faithfulness. All who stand with the prophets may receive the same insults and persecution, but Jesus also taught anyone who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward, and anyone who receives a righteous man because he is a righteous man will receive a righteous man's reward. Matthew 10, verse 41. The second way these people stood for Christ amidst severe trial was by identifying With those that were mistreated. Verse 33. You stood side by side with the ones persecuted. Verse 34. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. I read that. What is this? The world would malign and say, well, they had a martyr's complex. No, no. The world knows nothing of true faith. God says that such standing with others, even at personal loss, was because these Christians knew that you yourselves had a better and lasting possession. That's why they stood with him. You know, sometimes, brethren, our faith is not demonstrated by trust when we are the victims of persecution, but when we endanger ourselves by siding with our brethren who are undergoing such things. Jesus said in Matthew 25, verse 36, I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And they said, when? When? And he answered, Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Focus again, being upon Christ. Secondly, we learn that there should be perseverance without quitting. Verse 35. Do not throw away your confidence, your faith. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere. God's reward is for those who have done the will of God, who have done the will of God. Christ is coming, he says, verse 37. When he comes, he will be looking for the righteous who live by faith and do not shrink back, verse 38. And the affirmation is this, verse 39 We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. What is that? That's confident faith. This writer knows his people and he knows himself. He is living his faith. The focus is on Christ, the stewardship is being administered for the Lord. He's ready for Christ's appearing. Jesus taught, And will not God bring justice for His chosen ones who cry out to Him day and night? Will He keep putting them off? I tell you, He will see to it that they get justice. And quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on the earth? Luke 18, verse 7 and 8. So my question today as we close is this. Are you among the confident of faith? When Christ comes, will you be discovered as a person of faith? May God grant it so. Come then, come today. Why waste one more day or one more moment fighting against the goodness of God? Leave the world system. Come to God's kingdom. Little faith, weak faith, it doesn't matter. Come, come to Christ. Your faith will be sufficient. God will give you the glory to respond aright. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. People sit and hear the word of God and they think, I don't have that kind of faith. But, Lord, none of us have that kind of faith. The faith that saves is the gift of God. The repentance that turns away from sin is the gift of God. So if these are the gifts of God, then you are the God who saves by granting your gifts to those whom you will. And I pray that we would see that and we would plead for that before you. We can ask, we can plead for faith and repentance, although we don't have either. And you, by your mercy and your grace, can grant these very vital things. We do pray for that today. We ask that you would grant us faith and grant us repentance so we might come today and trust you. These are trying times for our country. People are scared. This coronavirus is taking its toll on people, maybe even some that we know, very sick, I don't know but people are dying every day. They put on the television the number that have died today. So people are scared. But if we're in Christ, we're not afraid to die. We know that absent from the body means we'll be present with the Lord instantly, at once. No burgatory, no waiting, but just, boom, absent from here, present with the Lord. What could be bad about that? If we know Christ, there's nothing bad about it. But if we don't know Christ, there's a different scenario, and that is to be lost forever in the fires of hell. And yet, O Lord, we pray that you would grant faith and repentance that that would never be the case. With any of our audience that's listening today, within the earshot of anyone that's preaching the gospel today, May they hear and believe by your grace. Amen.
2: Our final hymn today is Beneath the Cross of Jesus.
1: bless you. Have a safe week. We love you all. Keep us in your prayers. Our Lord, we just thank you and praise you for the fact that even in these trying times, we can count upon you. Coronavirus is not in control. God is in control. We ask you to keep us well and strong, not for our own sake but also for the sake of the gospel, for the outreach to our families and friends. We pray, Lord, that we might keep our faith strong as a testimony that this world is not our home. As the song says, we're just passing through. How we pass through, though, is important. So we pray that you would keep us faithful and true. May others see that and look to jesus not us but look to jesus look to the god and father of the universe that we might come to know him in power and great glory be with our loved ones be with our friends our family keep us safe keep us healthy keep us trusting for the glory of jesus and our good we pray these things amen